Like Brian said, my name is Jade Nichols. I'm super excited to be with you guys. Super excited to have the teens here too. And I'm super excited for what God's going to do with you guys. Like he said, I grew up in Bowling Green. I'm actually a, a pastor's kid too, so I grew up in the church. I'm just excited to dive into God's word with you today. The two things I said I would never be growing up, I would never be a public speaker, and I would never be a missionary. And here I am preaching as a campus missionary today. So don't doubt what God can do in your life. So we're in this new series, Summer in the Psalms, and last week, Fonny opened us up with Psalm 13. Today, we're just turning the page, and we're going to be writing Psalm 14. And so if you need to know a little bit about the Psalms, it's a collection of these prayers, it's poetry, and songs that are written by God's people. There's 150 in total of them, and many of them are written by David and Solomon. The one we're going to be reading today is from David. So there, this is God's word to man, but it's also man's word to God. So the Psalms, they remind us that God is relational, and it teaches us how to have a dialogue with him. So I'm super excited to dive into this one. It's a Psalm of David, like I mentioned. It's written to the chief musician, is what it says. And the chief musician is just God himself. He's the, the author and the creator of everything. This Psalm itself is actually almost identical to Psalm 53. And this Psalm is a lament. It's a little bit of wisdom. And it's also prophetic all at once in just seven verses. And this one's really a reminder that the whole book of the Bible is just a story that points towards Jesus. And that's what we believe at, about Jesus at H2O Church. The whole Bible preaches Jesus. And so most of all, this is a prophetic piece of literature too. So I'm excited to dive into this. Before we do that, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just come to you humbly today, Lord. We just pray that you would just give us new eyes and a softened heart to hear from your word today, Lord. God, we're thankful for everything you're doing in this church, the way that you're raising up young people to go do things for you, Lord. Uh, we just pray that you would continue to pursue us. And Lord, we just pray that that lives would be changed, Lord, and that we could just continue to grow closer to you. So Lord, we love you in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Psalm 14. It's seven verses. I'm going to read through the whole, the whole text, and then we're going to break it down into three pieces, okay? Here we go. In verse one, it says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there's any who understand any who seek God, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the, the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So our big idea for today is this. Though we've turned away, God loves us enough to save us. So though we've turned away, God loves us enough to save us. And then honing in on these first three verses, we're going to go verse by verse through this. It says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. Point one is this. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as good as we think we are. And we have to focus in on the fool. Most of us in America, when we hear the fool, we probably think of someone who's just not very intelligent. And in the Hebrew language, there's actually three different words for fool. And this one's actually the Hebrew word nabal, which means someone who's turned away from God. So this isn't necessarily someone who lacks intelligence. 
It's really more of a moral indictment. It's someone who denies any personal accountability to God for his own actions. And we have to note here that it says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. This means that it's not just an intellectual objection. It's not someone who just says in his mind, I don't believe there is a God. It's someone who wishes away God for moral reasons. In John 3.20, it says this, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So this distinction shows us that there's a possibility of believing in your mind that God is real and yet deny God in our actions, denying God in our hearts. And this is actually what's called practical atheism. You can believe God in your head and then live your life as if he doesn't exist at all. And then what happens when we deny God? It says it right there. It says they're corrupt and their deeds are vile. So this is the result of denying God. When we live outside of God's design, things are broken. They become destroyed. So God designed the world to be perfect, but perfect love involves choice. And so God gave us this choice to love him, which brings us all the way back to Genesis. Like I mentioned, this this psalm takes us throughout the whole Bible in a great way. And in Genesis 3, we see the first temptation by Satan to Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, did God really say you can't eat out of that? And Adam and Eve turned their eyes away from God and onto themselves and they ate of the tree. This is the original sin. And because of this sin, all humans are now born with a corrupted nature and without spiritual life. So this might sound really unfair, but the reality is we all would choose the same thing. We all would. God gives us that choice. It says this, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Even Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 3 in the New Testament. See, David's not just calling out atheists here. He goes a step further and actually says, none of you are good. No one is good. Even himself, he knows that he's not good. Now, this doesn't mean there's no such thing as human good. We obviously have all probably experienced good things, that we've seen good things happen. In fact, we're all image bearers of God. And so by nature, we want to emulate God's goodness. We crave God's goodness. The thing is, but even with the good that we might do, it it has the tendency to be tinged with pride, with selfishness, with manipulation, or any other kind of sin. The way I think about it is maybe with a child. On On their own, a child doesn't always do what you want them to do. If you're a parent, you can probably attest to that. But sometimes, if you offer them a reward... They might do the thing you want them to do, right? So there's a little bit of selfish gain that can be attached to our good deeds. Okay, I want to pause for a second because this is probably really heavy. This is probably sounds pretty offensive, and it is. Telling people that they're not good, that's really offensive. And sometimes when we come to the Bible, it's something that can be offensive. And it poses the question, do you yourself believe that you're a good person? And the question we have to ask is, by what standard Would you be a good person? How do we define what is good? Do we look around just based on who's around us? Or do we have an authoritative text like the Bible that can tell us what's good? Or do we just look to politicians? Where do we look? How do we find out what is good? And the Bible tells us this, if left to decide for ourselves, everyone would have a different definition and it would always end up in evil. Matter of fact, when I was in high school, 
I was convinced that I was a good person. I would have told you that. I would have even argued you about how good of a person I was. See, I knew I did bad things, but as I looked around at my friend group, I at least wasn't doing some of the stuff my friends were doing. I wasn't drinking alcohol. I wasn't having sex. I wasn't smoking marijuana. And so by that standard, I consider myself a good person because I didn't do three things. I judge myself by the people around me. But you know what? The Bible tells us that we all have fallen. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so though this is harsh, we all have the same condition. So we're actually no different than each other. We're born with this nature and the capacity to do evil. You can just ask anybody who spent time with a two-year-old. There's just utter, uncontainable chaos from little kids. Back in 2001, I was six years old. So you can do the math on that. I was born in 1995. I'm 27 now. And Pokemon cards were the thing back then. And you know what? They still kind of are. <laughs> See, every time that we went to the store, back in the day, they used to be in the checkout aisle. So as my mom scanning groceries or whatever else, I could look at the Pokemon cards, and every time I would ask, Mom, can I get a pack? And you know what? Every other time she would say, yeah. But there was a specific day. I've got my eyes on this red base set two Pokemon pack with Mewtwo on it. If you know anything about, about Pokemon, Mewtwo's a big deal. So I'm looking at this pack. I really want this pack. And my mom said no. And I'm disappointed, but I'm looking at it. And there's like a little bit of like this tear on the top of it. And so you know what? I'm like, maybe I'll do this pack a favor and I'll finish tearing that. I'll take the cards out, put them in my pocket. Because nobody's going to want to buy this, right? It's broken. Nobody's going to want it. So that's what I did. I put them right in my pocket, left. We went home, and you know what? We got home, and I immediately am riddled with guilt. I knew that I stole, and I had to tell my mom. I was somebody who couldn't keep stuff from my parents. I told my parents everything. So I told my mom that I stole. I showed her the cards, and she, she was really disappointed in me. She wasn't happy, but she said, you're going to keep those cards, and every time you look at them, you're going to remember what you did. <laughs> said, Great. And if you know anything about Pokemon cards, the worst part, I didn't even get a holographic card. <laughs> See, here's the fact of this story. I believed God that was real. I knew God was real at this point. But I denied God with my actions. I even sat there and knew, if I do this, this is not what I'm supposed to do. But my heart led me to do it anyway. In that moment, I was foolish. See, we're not as good as we think we are. Let's dive back into the text. David says this, Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Point two is this, God's goodness is better than we realize. So we're not as good as we think we are, but God's goodness is way better than we realize. See, this psalm is a contrast between a corrupt world, which we just had talked about when we went through our first Peter series. So a corrupt world and a righteous God. It's just a comparison. And see, the thing is, evil often looks like it has the upper hand. And really, that's Satan's attempt to make us hopeless. Many of you probably watch the news. You probably hear about things that are going on in the world. It's a lot easier to access that information today. It's really easy to feel hopeless 
It's really easy to think that the world is just overcome by evil and bad things happening. But see, it says, God says this, there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. See, God's judgment will come down on evildoers. A good God is a God of justice. Evil has to be punished. That's the reality. A lot of us probably get really excited when people come to justice. When people commit murder, we want to see them in jail. That's just the nature of it. We get excited when justice happens. That's why we go watch Marvel movies. We're cheering for the hero and all those stories. We want the villain to be defeated. The guy that's doing bad things should be in jail. So we can't ignore the reality of hell in scripture. It's there. And going our own way leads us separated from God, and it leads us right there. In Ephesians 2.3, it says this, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So because of our condition, we do deserve wrath. And like it says right there, following the cravings of the flesh, just like me when I wanted a pack of Pokemon cards that I couldn't pay for. But see, here's the, here's the good part. God is merciful to the humble. In James 4, 6, he says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. See, sin is foolishness, but pursuing righteousness is wisdom. And God, despite none of us doing good, he has a place for us. And in fact, we can have a place in eternal life. And God wants us there with him. That's the good news. So how good and loving is God to desire a relationship with us after we have turned away from him? It's wise to pursue righteousness and to turn back to God. We're reminded in scripture that all good things come from God. We ourselves may not be good, but all good things come from God. And when we follow Jesus and live with the Holy Spirit inside of us, God gives us with love to share with others. He gives us with joy to bring to the world, peace for our anxieties, patience for our hurry and irritability, kindness for others, goodness for the world, faithfulness in our work and relationships, gentleness in our conduct, and self-control when we experience temptations. That's the fruit and the gifts that God gives us when we are following and walking with him. And God generally gives us these gifts who, left to our own devices, would do evil, but with God, we can follow and become more like Jesus. And see, even the evildoers, we try to stop the pursuit of righteousness. It says this, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. See, the Bible tells us that following God's going to lead us to experience trials of many kinds. We might be mocked, might be laughed at, might even be persecuted. You might lose friends. You might lose family just for pursuing your faith in Christ. The Bible says we're not immune to that. And Jesus even said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Satan's going to throw all his punches at us, but as we pursue righteousness, that's the true good. See, God's goodness is better than we realize, and we need to fix our eyes on him. And this comes back to people. If we seek to find goodness in people, we're going to be disappointed and let down often. That's just part of the human condition. See, there's a danger when we find ourselves thinking or saying someone would never do something. You've probably heard that before when someone falls or someone does something wrong. Somebody might say, 
oh, he would never do that. She would never do that. How could she do that? I remember when I was in grade school. Again, I believed in God as, as a little kid in elementary school. And my dad was a youth pastor. So we had teens at our church and we were playing this game called Ghosts in the Graveyard. It's basically hide and seek outside. And I was hiding behind this big pile of sticks. And there was a, a high schooler pretty close to me who was hiding behind this little barn. And one of his friends caught him. And this guy who was, who was hiding there, he was somebody I really looked up to. He was super talented, really nice guy. He's somebody I wanted to be like. And you know what? He got caught and he said a cuss word. And I was shocked. I could not believe. How could he say that? I was just mind blown. He's such a good person, I thought. He would never say that, but he did. I heard him say it. It begs the question, how often do we catch ourselves shocked by people's actions? See, this is the reality. Anyone is capable of any kind of sin. Family, friends, celebrities, even pastors, we're not immune to sin. And that's why we need God in our lives. See, the evildoers in this passage are just regular people. Many of them trying to do the right thing and having the right heart. You might hear people say this, my heart was in the right place, but somebody got hurt. That happens. That's just the reality. And it's because of our fallen nature of man that we need to fix our eyes on the Father. And that brings us to the last verse in this, this section. It says this, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Point three is this. Through Jesus, we can be restored. See, we're not as good as we think we are. God's goodness is better than we realize. And through Jesus, we can be restored. David knew that refuge was found in God and that evildoers would not win. And in fact, would never win. But he still prayed this prayer. He prayed for salvation to come. See, this final verse points us to the reality that we have today, which is salvation in Christ. See, the beauty of knowing Christ is when we acknowledge our need for a Savior and a Lord. We say, God, on my own, I can't do this. I'm broken and I need a Savior, Lord. Would you come in and help transform me? Acknowledging that I am not good, I have sinned, rather than convincing ourselves and trying to convince other people of our own goodness. See, this is the act of humility, which is called repentance. Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark were this, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is exactly what Jesus brought. And the good news is this, that God sent his son to earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't live on our own, to become that perfect sacrifice for you and me, to be restored into relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave, it proved that he is God in that sacrifice, and he once and for all defeated death so that we can have eternal life. And see, when we believe in, in the gospel, we place our faith in Christ, and we're justified, which just means that in the eyes of God, we're clean. We're good to go. It means the sin, all the bad things we've done, everything we've stolen, every bad word we said, every person we hurt is forgiven. God then views us as righteous because of Jesus' sacrifice. So we can drop the facade that we need to look like a good person on the outside, and we can be real that we're someone who's trying to be good, and we've got a good God. See, there's nothing that we can do to work ourselves to God. 
Many of us have probably been there. I was there. I was trying to do so many good things to try to be right with God when the reality is God is good and that's enough. Ephesians says we were dead in our trespasses and we're saved not by works so that no one can boast. See, there's nothing we can do to work ourselves to God. So we can stop trying to be good. God gives us with the Holy Spirit, which transforms us from the inside out when we submit to Christ's lordship. And this is the process of sanctification. So as God continues to clean us up, we bring our gifts of the Holy Spirit to the outside world. So when repentance comes forward, pride has a chance to die. Now, some of you may have been sitting here this whole time and thinking, Jaden, I know I'm a bad person. You don't have to convince me. I know that I'm bad. And in fact, I'm probably too far gone to get right with God. It's just not possible. But the reality is the good news is that Jesus sacrificed no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it, you can turn and follow God. Jesus has paid for all of our sin, and that's the gospel. And it's my prayer that we can be a people here at H2O Church who are full of repentance and full of grace for one another. See, the big idea is this. Though we've turned away, God loves us enough to save us. Let's pray.